I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. Uh, we continue to make our way through Genesis, uh, not quite at a chapter at a time lately, um, and today brings us to chapter 30, kind of in the last half there, so starting in verse 25 uh, to verse 43. Have you all ever heard of the term microaggressions? Uh, they're not really a, a new term. I mean, maybe they surfaced in the last 50 years or so, or so but they've really come uh, to become a lot more popular in, in today's usage. And as you can tell from the term, microaggressions are microaggressions. So uh, minuscule things that are apparently offensive to people that we say, uh, and these are things that we say every day or just kind of do every day. Uh, and now let me say before I get into this that there are a lot of things that we say every day without thinking about it and that's bad all right whether microaggression is attached to this or not it's we go through our lives just saying things that just come to the top of our head immediately and we shouldn't say it right there's a lot of times where we're like oh I shouldn't have said that Uh, it's funny the kind of personal questions people ask you when you're an adoptive parent Um, it can be very personal uh, in in fact, I have an idea to make a, a funny video uh, about that one day. You'll see it when I'm an internet star. But uh, we, just, we just don't think before we speak a lot of the time. But here are some examples that I found from an internet search about uh, examples of microaggressions and uh, things that we're not to say. Some are, are silly, some not so much. Uh, but the first one that uh, stood out to me was, you speak excellent English. Is considered a microaggression. Now, if you're born in America, then sure. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously they speak good English because they're, they're born here. But for foreigners and immigrants, I don't know. Like, I, whenever I'm like in a foreign country or something, and I, and I, like, in the past, if I've spoken Spanish or Chinese, and they were like, oh, you speak great Spanish or Chinese, I thought that was awesome. Like, thank you, you know? And so, I don't know. That, I, Microaggression, whatever. Here's another. Uh, this is considered a, a microaggression. <laughs> this is kind of funny. Anyone can succeed if they work hard. Very aggressive. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, right? Hard work doesn't equal success, okay? So I get it. Like That's not like a, a true thing, but it's like, stop being so aggressive, bro. I don't know. All right, here's another. Here, here's another. Like I said, some of these are silly, some of these are not. Uh, this is another microaggression. Uh, avoiding sitting next to a black person on a subway. Don't be racist, okay? <laughs> Don't be racist. That's the takeaway from that. And here's another example of a microaggression um, that's pretty common. Uh, it's a microaggression when there are no people of color in the same room. Um, uh, so, okay, I hope it goes without saying that we should always strive to have diversity because the gospel is a gospel of diversity. We don't want just like a, a monotone gospel, right? The gospel is a gospel for all nations. But there is a difference when this happens because of prejudice. Like, we're prejudiced and we don't want any, you know, ethnicity or whatever in this mix, or just because of situatedness. And I say that knowing, like, good luck 
finding like people of color around Fellows Lake. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a very diverse place up here, and that's okay. That happens, right? If if we were in like uh, downtown St. Louis, then our church should probably reflect downtown St. Louis more, right? Okay. So hear what hear what I mean by that. And there's a difference between walking into a room and just kind of feeling uncomfortable uh, versus actually being unwelcome. Now, some of these, like I said, are silly. Some are not. And there are plenty we can learn from, right? If you're reading these, you're like, okay. Yeah, if I'm like intentionally avoiding black people on a subway, there's something wrong with that. But there are thousands more microaggressions we're told not to say or do. And even if some of them are problematic by themselves, what makes them even more problematic is they are part of a culture of zealous justice where all sins, any error, as micro and minuscule as they are, are punished to their greatest extent. Sought in their, in, in their fullest depth and punished when they're found. College athletes ha- have had uh, old social media posts dug up and, and they're, they're burned at the stake, right? We, don't be fooled. We live in um, 1800 Salem, Massachusetts. Like, witch burnings happen and it just happens to be over the cause of certain justice issues. And here's the deal, though. Real injustice exists. It does. Injustice isn't being offended by something. Injustice isn't microaggressions. And it's not being overlooked. That's, those are not injustices. And injustice is being treated unfairly or even being mistreated because of some irrelevant factors such as your race, your gender, your age, religion, whatever. And honestly, I, I think we should be open to conversations about how injustices happen today. We shouldn't be closed off to that. We should be open to how that happens. But sometimes injustice happens, and here's what's so hard for us to accept. Nothing is done to change it. Like, nothing can be done to change it. Sometimes you can't do anything to change it. This is essentially what happens to Jacob in this passage. He's treated unfairly, right? He's, he's done, he is done an injustice. He has worked for 14 years for Laban, and he continues to be mistreated. And so rather than, listen, rather than dig up every microaggression we can find and, and try to trump justice and, and overcome them in every way that we can, we're shown four ways God's people can live in unjust circumstances. This doesn't mean we never try to change unjust situations, okay? Like, seriously, praise God for abolitionism in the civil rights movement, okay? But sometimes living faithfully under injustice is precisely what we should learn to do. Learning to live faithfully under injustice. And, and in this sermon, I, that's what I, I believe is happening. Through Jacob's life, we learn four ways we can live under injustice. And, and much of this stands in contrast to 
the way our culture sees that happening. So I'd like us to read together in, in Genesis chapter 30. Let's read together in, in verse 25. Uh, follow along in your scriptures. I'm sorry, it, it's not on the screen today. Verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my home, home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your side, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has feared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pass your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Four ways to live under unjust circumstances. First, in unjust circumstances, understand clearly what God has called you to do. In the previous chapter, uh, Rachel and Leah have all these children, and, and Jacob's uh, family has increased exponentially. And, and so in, in verse 25, Jacob asks Laban, hey, send me away. Then I might go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. And so, you know, for many uh, international missionaries that I, that I have known, uh, they live in two different worlds, Okay. One world is the life they make in a foreign country. They develop relationships, learn the language, learn the culture, and, and all of that is being driven by their mission and their purpose and their calling. And, and the other they have is their home in their home country, right? So where they were brought up and where their family is. And for the ones that I've known, even when they come back home to the States, it's not really home for them anymore. They feel a sense of longing and purpose to get back to their mission field. 
I believe that's a little like what Jacob is, is feeling. He's, he's lived with Laban and Haran for 14 years now, and it'll be 20 before it's all said and done. But no matter how much time he has spent there, and even had his family born there and built there, right? Like, if that's us, it's like, oh, I had my family. This is, this is my home. He has a home elsewhere, right? Back in the land of Canaan. And he understands that. Just like a missionary, it's because he has a sense of, of mission and purpose. Why? You remember what happened to Jacob that was really, really important? In chapter 28, he had this dream. God appeared to him and said, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the uh, west and the east and the north and the south, and in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And, and that part has been partially fulfilled. Like God is, is showing that that blessing is coming about because now he's had 11 kids. That's a lot, a lot of kids. Uh, and, and that part, like I said, has been partially filled. God goes on to say, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. Now, I don't know how many. I've never asked, you know, maybe I should make this like a membership question or something, but like, I've never asked if any of you have had a, a vision from God. God Almighty, where He speaks to you, right? Um, that would tell me a lot. Uh, that still happens in many foreign countries, by the way. Um, maybe not like with Jacob, but um, definitely in Muslim contexts, um, they have dreams, right? Uh, that's a large part of the mission work that happens over there. Uh, but I, I have not had this happen. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, I have not had God appear to me in a dream. I've had senses in my life where God was calling me to do something. I felt his purpose weighing heavily on me. At times, it seemed like it could have been an audio, audible voice because it was strong, but can't tell you that I heard an actual voice. Okay? Where does that leave us then? Right? Jacob has this clear, concise calling on his life. He knows he's got to get back to the land. He knows it's where his purpose is. Where does that leave us? Simply this, don't take for granted that you know God's will. Often, what will happen is our passions and our emotions and sinful hearts will either cloud or distort what we know about God's will. And, and we begin to kind of interpret His will according to what we want and our desires. But this is why Paul prays in Colossians 1 verse 9. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so, we pray earnestly to know God's will as we read His will and His word. We make a life of this. This is what it means to, to know God's will. It's not this like grand purpose. I mean, maybe, maybe He'll reveal to you you need to go uh, to the uh, heart of darkness in Africa or what have you. But that's going to happen as... You pray, God, fill me with the knowledge of your will, even as I seek your will in your word. Maybe he doesn't call you to Africa. Maybe he just calls you to be a good grandparent or a good spouse, or a good parent, a good worker, a good church member. Understand clearly what God calls us to do and that's very simple, right, when we face unjust circumstances. 
When, when that happens, like, think of injustice. It's something that happens above us that we can't control and it happens to us. Right? So often our passions and our emotions get riled up about it, but the f- first step is just to understand what, is, what has God called me to do in this moment? Understand clearly what God has called you to do. Uh, the next point is related. Because the more we know about God's will, the more careful we're going to be about thinking it through. Thinking, what, thinking through what we're going to do. So secondly, in unjust circumstances, respond carefully with integrity and shrewdness. After 14 years, you think you would know somebody, right? After 14 years, Jacob knows who he's dealing with. Instead of giving Jacob what Jacob asked for, again, Laban says, hey, I'm actually not letting you go anywhere. Uh, and he's like, I learned by divination that I'm blessed because of you. Like, like we, we don't know if Laban's actually like telling the truth here or not. It's like, do you really need to learn by divination that like you've been blessed? Like you have this one worker and he, he earns you a million bucks. It's like, you know, I, uh, I had a vision from God that you helped me. I don't know. But anyway, he's like, I'm not letting you go anywhere. Uh, because, uh, you, because you're here, I'm, I'm blessed by you. Tell me what you want for payment and I'll give it to you. And, and you know what Jacob says? And Jacob leans into it. Jacob leans into it. He, he's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. In fact, far from being like zero sum, like I give you your service and you pay me my wages, like I have increased your prosperity exponentially. We all have our moments like this. But typically speaking, you don't have to tell a thoughtful or caring person how hard you've worked for them because they should know, right? They should know. But when it comes to someone like Laban, you have to lay it all on the table. Like you have to do those uncomfortable things in, uh, in this kind of relationship that you normally wouldn't have to do with anybody else. And this is, this is what I've done. And, and this is why this is important because and I've struggled with this in my life. As Christians, we kind of swing the pendulum and we swing it toward this kind of, um, we understand we need to show grace and what that becomes is kind of like this wishy-washy, like I'm a walking mat kind of, kind of thing where, where we don't really, we just let people walk all over us. Right? We're taught if someone strikes us on the cheek, turn the other also, correct? And that's true. Um, and there's a lot that we can say about that. But really, that idea, Jesus is focusing on retaliation, right? So if someone spits in your drink, you don't spit back at them. If someone cuts you off, you don't speed up and get in front of them and then brake check them into oblivion, okay? You, you turn the other cheek. And, and especially, right, if it's an unjust thing. Well, the boss overlooks me. Well, you know, that guy... Like, I'm not, I'm just gonna sit here and do nothing and get paid to do it. Like, no, no, we don't do that. But even though we are to respond in every situation with grace and kindness, like, grace and kindness don't change. What changes is that we are also to respond with shrewdness. Jesus himself also said this in two places. He says, 
Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. He's talking about um, a lot, actually, but the kind of people that he interacted with who he would try to teach and help them to see, but they would always throw it back right in his face. Pharisees, mainly guilty of this. But Jesus also says, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Here's, here's what, how I want to summarize this. We are to be active readers of people responding carefully to how they treat us. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody responds to kindness the same. Not everybody responds to grace the same. And our response should be different based on our active reading of who they are and what they do. Uh, I got into this Facebook argument one time. Uh, I arguably lost just by engaging in a Facebook argument. But the person who was arguing me, with me was less concerned with actual dialogue and learning, and more concerned with being right and, and petty. And like after like a minute or two of kind of like dialoguing with this person, I had to remember song, uh, Proverbs 26. And Proverbs 26 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. At some point, I had to realize that the more I responded to this person, the more foolish I was becoming. Maybe not necessarily, uh, maybe because I was, I don't know, maybe I responded in pettiness as well. But also, like, it's like when it's someone that, that obstinate or, and that petty, right, the more you interact with them, the less fruitful it becomes. And, right, it's foolish to try to go out and try to make a dead tree bear fruit, right? You, you, at the end of the day, you just have to say, I just, I have to put my resources somewhere else. That's, that's kind of what it means to act shrewdly. Act shrewdly. And I make that point intentionally. Respond carefully with shrewdness. We, shrewdness isn't just like, okay, this person's hurting my feelings or making me offended, therefore I'm just going to give up on them. It's careful. This also means that we respond with integrity. So not just shrewdness, but integrity. Laban asks Jacob what he wants, and so Jacob says, hey, I'll take all the spotted and speckled sheep, lambs, and goats off your hands, right? And so um, the the speckled and spotted lambs, right, in the Jewish uh, sacrificial system were not to be used. It was only the pure white lambs, and so um, these kinds of lambs were, you know, more or less less valuable, right? He's saying, I'll take the less valuable of the two kinds of flock that there are. And then he says this in verse 33, which really actually uh, shows us that, that Jacob has learned some, at least uh, in his life. Verse 33, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. So, so Jacob, right, Jacob the deceiver, like he deceives people, then he's deceived by Laban, and they deceive each other over and over again. But Jacob here gives Laban visible evidence of his honesty. When we act with shrewdness, this doesn't give us permission to lie or to make excuses. We're upfront about what we want. 
In other words, as we try to act with shrewdness, we also want to remain above reproach. Don't be the kind of person who accuses someone else of doing something while you yourself are practicing that same thing. Right? If in shrewdness I'm telling someone you're not taking my argument seriously, if in my own integrity I'm not taking them seriously as well. It's just not going to work. Respond carefully with integrity and shrewdness. And if you think about work, things like that, then you can imagine how this can start to be applied. Uh, thirdly, in unjust circumstances, resist ceaselessly the temptation to distorted thinking. So Laban agrees to Jacob's wages, but then acts, I'd say, exactly how Jacob expects him to. I think, I think uh, we have indications here that Jacob expected Laban to, to do this. So Laban, uh, that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, every land that was black. And instead of putting it in Jacob's care, put them in charge of his sons. And then not only does this, puts a distance of three days journey between him and himself and Jacob. He deceives Jacob again and, and leaves him high and dry. Um, and this is where we kind of get this passage, right, with Jacob and these branches. And uh, you see, genetics are pretty important, okay? If Mel and I have a baby that comes out blue-eyed and blonde-haired, she's going to have to answer some questions, <laughs> okay? This is not how this works. Likewise, Jacob is not just going to be able to make spotted and speckled sheep out of the solid ones, at least not easily, right? This isn't just something that you can just do, right? Like, I mean, if you wanted a blonde-haired baby, you don't, like, sleep with a haystack in front of you or something. That's not, that's not how this works. So he has, he has a solution. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yes, it, it's just not how you do things. He has this really weird solution where he has these sticks and he exposes like the insides. And, and I'm not a farmer or a dog breeder, but I'm pretty sure you guys are like, you're like this. No, like this is just not how it works, right? Like this is something else happening here. In fact, this is just like Leah and Rachel, right? Haggling over their mandrakes. This is, Mainly this practice, and it's rooted in superstition. Right? This isn't like good agricultural techniques or, or something like that. It's just Jacob kind of being superstitious here. And then don't get me wrong, it works. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but this has less to do with the practice itself and more to do with God's promise of blessing. Like I said, we'll unpack that. In other words, what Scripture is describing here is a practice that by all intents and purposes is rooted in superstition and folklore, that kind of thing. And just because it works for Jacob does not give us permission to act the same way. Scripture has many examples of this kind of thing. So even later in Genesis, um, 
uh, Joseph, like Laban, is like, he puts his chalice in Benjamin's sack, and he's like, this is the cup that I use for divination. You're like, what? You're Joseph, like you're a biblical character, and you're using a cup? I don't know, but that doesn't give us permission to go to Silver Dollar City and buy the really cool plastic cups and start trying to predict the future with them, okay? Um, Kenneth Matthews actually, he puts this well in his commentary on Genesis. The Lord tolerated Jacob's imaginative devices and transcended them. God was pleased to bless despite whatever erroneous notions Jacob may have had about animal husbandry. God was pleased to bless despite Jacob. That's a good descriptor of God's grace, isn't it? And what I'm trying to say is that in injustice, all kinds of crazy things can happen, okay? Especially in our, our culture right now. Passions and emotions flare, uh, and especially we can get caught up in the, the frenzy of the crowd. But Christians of all people should resist the contagious temptation of distorted thinking. And I say it's a contagious temptation because it is, right? Uh, so think about all the issues where this has happened and this can happen. No matter where you land on the spectrum of these, these, these are hot topics, right? Race, vaccines, lockdowns, politics, war, gas prices, whatever. Distorted thinking happens when we're either viewing all of these things and more through a cultural lens, political lens, emotional lens, folk lens, or even a superstitious lens rather than a deeply thoughtful scriptural one. Okay? We all, None of us will ever escape the cultural, uh, emotional, political, folk lenses that we have. We'll never escape them. There's a difference between just constantly doing that and letting those distort our thinking and being aware that they happen and trying to think carefully and deeply scripturally about them. And it's it's tempting because it's easier. (laughs) It's easier and we don't have to uh, think. It's easier not to think. It's easier not to self-reflect. We feel better about ourselves. But resist the temptation. We could use a lot more self-reflecting, couldn't we? Finally, in unjust circumstances, trust confidently in God's sovereign grace. Underneath Jacob's erroneous thinking and superstitions, there remained a trust in God's sovereign grace. Uh, this reminds me of the, the um, woman who had been bleeding for so many years and touches the edge of Jesus' cloak. Um, and part of what she was doing was, yes, there was a kernel of faith in Jesus, but also like this little bit of superstitious belief that, that Jesus is this supernatural figure, and if she can just touch him, right, then she'll get some of his power, right? It was the, there was a mix. And so that's similar to what's happening here. And even though God is not mentioned directly, we're to see God behind this. Look, I mean, look at verse 43. Thus the man Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Um, well, well, it also is 
explicitly mentioned in chapter 31. Jacob mentions it, right? That his success is directly attributed to God's sovereignty and not Jacob's devices. Microaggressions today will get you canceled or burned at the stake. Every transgression is basically unforgivable. But here in Jacob's life, as in so many places that we even see just in... We're 30 chapters into the Bible and how often have we seen mess-ups and errors and failures? We see God's grace at work despite how erroneous he has been. Like we saw, this doesn't give us permission to live in error. (laughs) But praise God for His faithful grace to us in our error. Here's what Scripture tells us that culture does not understand. You will not respond appropriately to every instance of injustice in your life. Breathe a fresh of breath air if you've been on social media too much lately. You will not respond to every area of injustice appropriately in your life. You will not. For some, if you speak up, you shouldn't be speaking up because you're whatever. For others, if you're silent, you're part of the injustice. But the truth is we miss, we miss injustice. We, we don't see it sometimes. We, sometimes we don't stand up when we should and perhaps we act too zealously when we should just wait it out. Even when we do try to write things, like write things from the past, sometimes our attempts at justice can result in great failure. I mean, I'm sure some of you can think of uh, ways government has attempted to right the wrongs of the past and end up just kind of messing things up more. This is why it is so important to trust in God's grace and patience toward us. Praise Him for that. And let that temper the way that we respond to others too. God's grace is a sovereign grace. He was determined to bless Jacob. And in His sovereignty, with sticks... And weird stuff, he brought about Jacob's success. Again, Kenneth Matthews, he links this to the, uh, later to the Israelites in the Exodus, right? Because this is uh, uh, the way God works in his people's lives. And he says, by transforming poverty into wealth at the expense of the powerful, the Lord carried out his plan while undoing the unjust treatment of his appointed people. God reverses it by his sovereignty. That kind of trust is the controlling thought for Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him to which God has called him. Sometimes, remaining where God has called you means remaining under injustice. Sometimes it means seeking to fix it. In all circumstances, what this is, is a firm belief and, ju- and trust 
that God can turn even the greatest injustices into blessing for His people by His great, majestic, sovereign grace. Despite our attempts to either fix it or not fix it. (laughs) Ultimately, all injustice is to be viewed through the cross. The cross of Christ. Because it was there that the greatest injustice of all human history, and think of all the injustices in human history there have been. Slavery, the Holocaust, genocides. And yet, it was there on a cross with a single man, the greatest injustice in human history became the satisfier of the greatest kind of justice. At the cross, God treated His Son, Jesus, the way that we deserve to be treated. It was there on the cross that God emptied out His wrath that, was, that you earned on His Son. God, for all our, our sin and in lying and our shame and deceitfulness and blindness, the Father poured out every ounce of condemnation and wrath on Christ. Wrath that was yours. And you no longer carry an ounce of it. There's not a moment in your life in Christ where an ounce of the wrath of God is upon you or where His wrath is ignited because of you because it was poured out on Jesus. And if that were not enough, through the cross, God the Father treats us the way His Son deserves. With all mercy and grace, tenderness, kindness, faithfulness, and love. God the Father treats you The way that His eternal Son, the Son that He's known for beyond time in eternity, treats you with what that one deserves. You. It is the cross that both transforms our view of justice and gives us the grace to endure any amount of injustice we face today. You know, I read, uh, or maybe even saw, right? And you've all maybe have heard stories like this, that especially in concentration camps, it was those whose faith in Christ helped them to endure the Holocaust most sufficiently. They couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't storm the gates of their Nazi captors. But the ones who made it, We're the ones with faith. Every injustice we face today. And for us in this room, it's not a lot, but we can. Every injustice we face, it is but a degree to which we stand justified by the injustice done to Christ because of our sin. Take the most paramount injustice that you can fathom and that is but a degree 
to the injustice that was done on the cross to satisfy justice for you. Let's respond now appropriately to this God, His Word, and cry out for the grace to do what He has called us to do. Father God, Your will is good. and, And yes, it's... You reveal your word to us. It's, it's not that complicated. It's not as complicated as we make it out to be. I don't mean to say that it's always easy. It's not easy to endure injustice. I've never been to a concentration camp. I've never been denied access to a job or something because of my race. But God, we pray that you would give us the grace to discern the grace to respond carefully and shrewdly and with all integrity and purity to to the injustices that we face. Whether injustices done to us or injustices that we see, God, give us grace. Don't let us be overtly passive, but don't let us get swept up into frenzied emotion either. God, help us to pursue justice according to your word and what you have called us to do. Help us to live mercifully. God, whatever injustice we face, we pray for the grace to endure it with joy. That we would trust confidently in your sovereign grace because of your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.